0: Welcome to BIB Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. Well, Justin Trudeau was in British Columbia last week for what looked suspiciously like election campaigning, the country's worst-kept political secret is that in a matter of weeks, we're going to be thrust into a federal election, even though there's no particular threat of the minority government failing to have its way in the House of Commons. This week, though, the leader of the opposition is out in British Columbia, too, for some in-person events. The easing of restrictions in the pandemic is making it possible to have public gatherings with limited capacity, and Conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole, is doing exactly that. I have him on Zoom, though, today, but at least you're in the same time zone as we're doing this. Good to see you.
1: It's great to see you, Gary, and it's great to be in British Columbia.
0: Yeah, I have to start with with what public opinion research is saying is a bit of a gulf between the popularity of the party and your own standing in this one. What is it, do you think, Mr. O'Toole, that Canadians aren't understanding about you?
1: Well, most Canadians don't know me. And that's a challenge, no question. But it's also an opportunity because in the next election, there's really only one choice. There's a leader that actually has real world experience in the private sector, that has cabinet experience, that served in the military, including training and and being here in British Columbia during my Air Force career, who's proud of, of the jobs here in BC. One of the only people standing up for workers in Kitimat in the softwood lumber industry. So as people get to know me, get to know my own background, uh, I'm ethical, I'm a big tent conservative with a strong voting record on rights and other things for Canadians, and I think very quickly people will see there's a a real positive option after the phoniness and, quite frankly, the corruption of Justin Trudeau, someone who's broken ethics rules three-plus times, it's time for... uh, a restoring of trust in our our federal government and in our national institutions.
0: But it still speaks to something that's going on here, which is that there must be some worries about you, some apprehensions about you, that people maybe who have a bit of an understanding of you have a bit of a concern. What, What do you think Canadians need not worry about with you?
1: Well, we know it's people don't know me. And in the last year, the focus on COVID, Mr. Trudeau wouldn't even show up in Parliament. They tried to shut down Parliament. It's been hard for me to get the message out. But I think people will have to know that um, I'm a pro-choice MP. I've got a stronger voting record on LGBTQ issues than Mr. Trudeau does, to be honest. And I will uh, make Indigenous reconciliation central to our government. It was my first question, in the House of Commons, as opposition leader, was on a call to action. One of the, one of the 94 that was ignored by Mr. Trudeau, despite the positive rec- uh, rhetoric before he became prime minister. I worked on on some of the issues with Indigenous businesses pro bono as a lawyer before I got into politics. So I'm a roll-up-the-sleeves guy that I think a lot of folks in BC would realize when they meet me, they'd love to have a beer, and I'd love to have a craft beer from BC with them. And so. That's what we need, real people in politics, again, delivering, not not the phony sort of press release photo op driven stuff that even we've seen from Mr. Trudeau this week.
0: So on the basis then of what it is that you're detecting are the perceptions of you and the and the real feelings about what what would a campaign in your view look like in terms of your own personal emphasis? What, what is it that you need to do, do you think, to get this, get, get what you consider to be an accurate impression of yourself into the minds of Canadian voters?
1: Well, I look at the election as an opportunity, Kirk, for me to actually meet most Canadian voters. Most Canadian voters will acknowledge they, they don't know much about the Conservative leader. Why is that? Well, I'm not a celebrity. Mr. Trudeau, his name was just justin smith would probably not be prime minister of this country Uh, my experience before politics i think is probably critical for our country that's divided that saw 160 billion dollars worth of jobs and investment leave canada before COVID, that uh is diminished on the world stage we the us is raising softwood lumber tariffs not eliminating them with the biden administration so they're going to see with me as they get to know me someone that brings people together that Builds a team and accomplishes things. I did that, Kirk, as a new veterans minister when I helped resolve the class action lawsuit brought by BC veterans, the Equitas case. People that had lost such faith in the conservative government, my approach of building a team, building trust, uh, helped resolve some of those things. And those veterans I now consider friends. Um, So that's my style. And I I think that's part of the reason Mr. Trudeau is going to try and pull the rug or the, uh, the wool over people's eyes. The, the country's not even fully open and he's already putting his political skin forward. He doesn't want people to really get to know me. So it's, it's a challenge, Kirk, but it's also an immense opportunity. And I think the half trillion dollars of debt that's put, put on the rising inflation, the housing crisis, the opioid crisis, the division, um, the, the sort of decline in discourse, it's time for fresh leadership. And, and that's what I'm gonna be offering.
0: Yeah. What's the nastiest thing you think he could say about you?
1: Well, they in my first few months, they started attacking me as some uh, Bay Street tycoon because I worked as a corporate lawyer. Now, I wasn't even a partner. I worked long hours and my, my wife and I uh, had very modest means and she worked for the Toronto Argonauts. I articled and worked for a large corporate law firm. And In my spare time, I raised funds for a women's shelter. I helped start the largest charity for military families and veterans in the country. I'm a doer. Mr. Trudeau was given immense possibilities and really sort of meandered his way through life. And so uh, I think they've already attacked me for that private sector experience, but I'll tell you, I know that budgets don't balance themselves. Uh, I know that you have to be tough on the world stage to negotiate good trade access. You have to be taken seriously. You have to take China and the rise of communist China seriously. Mr. Trudeau is asleep at the switch, and Canada's in decline. It's time for a turnaround operation, and that's what our recovery plan is going to offer.
0: So you alluded to his trip out here, and uh, when he came out, he, he put a fair number of dollars, he committed a fair number of dollars far into the future, not right away, but far into the future, on bet on kind of two things, one, childcare; two, public transit. Those are his big ticket items. If you're in his shoes, which two items would you choose?
1: Well, focus in on what you said, Kirk. Money way out in the horizon. Mr. Trudeau cannot be trusted on anything. The Liberal Party has promised a national daycare program nine times. Even cats only get nine lives, Kirk. So there was no consultation. I agree with the provinces. We need more options for families. We're going to give more options, more flexibility, a plan that will actually work as opposed to a magical plan promised for the ninth time, five plus years from now. We announced the extension of the SkyTrain from Surrey to Langley before Mr. Trudeau, because of my 24 virtual meetings with chambers. I know that we have to partner on local municipal and provincial priorities on everything from, Transit to building resiliency for for climate change as part of an environmental program. I was talking about that today in Richmond. So, I think I think British Columbians have to realize Mr. Trudeau comes out here, um, makes some vague references to to uh, the importance of British Columbia for him. Uh, I, I will deliver, and I think you need only ask uh, ask one retiring British Columbia MP uh, whether Mr. Trudeau is sincere and delivers and that's Jody Wilson-Raybould and I think people need to realize that even people that had great hope in Mr. Trudeau uh, have found him failing and wanting ethically.
0: So I didn't hear you though identify a couple of things that would be your arsenal in this because he presumably has some research that says these are these are a couple of things that strike the chord properly. He clearly wants to get into your your nest there in Surrey with more MPs and he clearly Believes that there's something there in the way of a winnable strategy with childcare. What are what do we say are your two big ones here?
1: Well, we have a five-point recovery plan. As I said, a million jobs in one year, eliminating the ideological barriers to to employment. Mr. Trudeau's brought brought in negotiating a softwood lumber agreement, a targeted program for small businesses in crisis. We proposed, Kirk, a safe and secure reopening that would have saved. The, the uh, tourism business in British Columbia, particularly with the Alaska cruise ships, Mr. Trudeau is asleep at the switch, including on a safe and effective reopening. Um, we have a plan for accountability, a national mental health action plan, securing capacity, including supporting key industries, including those here in British Columbia, and a plan to get back to fiscal balance. That's what British Columbians want. They actually want certainty for the employment situation so that we can tackle the housing crisis. Another empty promise from Mr. Trudeau. And right now they're seeing a choice of a liberal government that promises things but never delivers from drinking water on reserve right through to daycare. Or a a team led by myself and the Conservative Party that has an action plan for the economy and regaining the Asia Pacific foothold that that the lower mainland and that British Columbia really represents that uh, the decline in our relations with India and other uh, other countries hurts trade through here. So there's, there's going to be a key role for British Columbia in our economic recovery, which we will drive. That's the top issue coming out of COVID with the highest unemployment in the G7 or next to it and a half trillion in new debt. We need an a- action plan for our economy.
0: So, I, I think your party has 17 of the 42 seats out here in British Columbia, if I'm not mistaken, and, and uh, but there's nothing in either the largest city, ours here in Vancouver or Victoria. I mean, let's let's kind of leave Victoria aside because it, it has a historic uh, past that we hear with it that I think has not been all that friendly to the Conservatives, but let's, but Vancouver has had. Vancouver used to be a real fight for this party. So, what is it that you think has happened here that the party has lost its way in this city?
1: Well, we're having great candidates step up and we are going to be winning more seats in the lower mainland and on the island. And part of it is reestablishing trust on a few issues that I've said as leader I wanted to do. That's why in March I launched our climate change plan. Some people didn't think we were taking it seriously enough in the past. So I our team worked with actually an agency based out of out of Vancouver to come up with the most comprehensive pre-election plan. In Canadian history, it's better than the Liberal plan, so much so that Mr. Wilkinson and and Mr. Trudeau have tripped through changing their own targets twice, seven days after I launched my plan, with with no explanation how they'll make it. So we know that climate change is an area where we didn't meet the trust sufficient for folks. Mm -hmm. I, I was disappointed. I wanted us to do a little more. And now as leader, I'm going to be able to make sure that that's part of it. I do think as well, growing our tent, some new uh, cultural communities, uh, the LGBTQ community, which as you know, I've already spoken about. I want anyone that's worried about the division in this country, the debt, the the sort of drift in Ottawa, the corruption around Minister Trudeau, multiple ethical scandals, cover-ups. They're they're suing the speaker, Kirk, to keep cover-ups growing in parliament. It's unprecedented. People haven't been seeing it because of COVID, but in the election, I will focus in on the fact that we don't need more of the same for Mr. Trudeau and his enablers. Mr. Singh is his enabler. We need a plan to get people working. And I want more people seeing themselves welcome in our party. And that's that's something I'm gonna work very hard to do.
0: You you took a very different style initially as a leader, Mr. O'Toole, because you, you were on record as saying that Conservatives can't continue to wait for Canadians to come around to their positions on issues. So so I wanna know, what would you say though is the one issue you've come around on to the position of Canadians?
1: Well, I think one position that I have changed my view over the course of my public life is the role of unions in setting the Mm -hmm. agenda for our economy, um, making sure they have a seat at the table from everything uh, to the trade tribunal and, and, and some, of the, some of the sectors in our country that have been let, left behind by globalization. Now, I always had respect for working people because I, I worked up in, wor- grew up in an auto community. I saw the importance of unions. But the Conservatives, I, I came into a party with, we had a track record of fighting with the, the leaders. Many of their members would vote for us, but we were always squabbling. And we had some bills that upset members of the labor movement. So I've probably come around most on that because I've built great relationships within the labor movement, particularly the power workers and the IESO, the electrical uh, workers. And so that's something that I'm reflecting in our party. I want us to partner with labor to build opportunities for their members. And I say to union leaders, part of building trust, uh, I've spoken to more union leaders than, than most Canadians in the last six to eight months. And part of it is I say, I want you to have my trust because I want your members to have opportunity. I realize global trade has been gamed by some bad actors to the to the detriment of Canada. And right now, I can't stress it enough. You know, before the before the COVID crisis, the illegal rail blockades, the so so-called shutdown Canada movement, the NDP was supporting that. <laughs> They've totally abandoned working people. Mr. Singh and the federal NDP have no connection with with folks that work, have to work hard, roll up their sleeves for a living, and I'm gonna fight for them. And I, I feel that we're really the only option for those people that that want a future for both themselves and their children.
0: So you speak of this issue, and of course, um, I don't doubt for a second, this is a very hard sell for the conservative party and, and also a hard sell for unions um, that, that you can somehow align somehow. Was there, was there an episode, was there a revelation, an epiphany that you had at one point where you thought, you know we have to stop you know we have to stop uh hard, you know being hard on each other on this one uh we need an alliance here
1: uh yeah for me it was years ago i and i'll tell you it was a union leader named don mckinnon with the power workers because i i'm a big supporter of nuclear power because it's emission free and i think small modular reactors and of course ontario we got rid of coal because we got our generating from nuclear back on track. And I was always working with Don and the power workers on public education and the importance of, of, of a mixed supply chain for electricity and, and getting emissions down. I've been talking about it in the environment for many years. And Don and I were always on the same page, except for, for when it came to you know one or two bills that we were putting through that they viewed as a tax on the the uh, on the secret ballot for unions and and the affairs of internal affairs of union, I kind of said, yeah, why are we battling? <laughs> because we're the only ones fighting, you know, for your party and and for the jobs your members have. And so I was changing my views many years ago, um, in part because I saw there was so much uh, in common. And in fact, a lot of the the union members in my riding vote for me. And would always say, "Why do you guys fight with our our union leaders when we vote for you?" And I think BC has had an interesting situation where you see some provincially people vote NDP, but federally have voted Conservative or even Alliance or Reform in the past because of that connection with working people and the and the shared view that the Liberals only only do things for the wealthy few and and the well-connected. And Mr. Trudeau has proven that from SNC Lavalin to the We Charity. It, so as you, as you said, some of my meetings, we hit it off right away. Others, there's some skepticism and we build trust. And I'll tell you, almost every meeting has ended positively. Um, and so I think you're going to see a bit of a sea change in the next election. Because as I said, Mr. Mr. Singh is more interested in, in protest culture and, and other things. He's completely abandoned working families.
0: So I've, uh, you know, I've, I've been in this field for about four decades now, and I cannot recall any conservative opposition leader who hasn't promised to take funds away from the CBC, right? The um, largest cut took place, of course, under a liberal government, under Paul Martin. Would you really cut CBC funding?
1: I want to modernize the CBC because I, I actually think it's undermined the, the private sector at a time that The print to digital editions and advertising has been falling apart. Um, Traditional media, with the exception maybe of radio, has had a real challenge in the modern advertising landscape. So we need to equalize the playing field with the U.S. giants, not by attacking free speech and regulating people's social media like Mr. Trudeau's tried with C-10. But we have to recognize that the playing field needs to be equalized and why should CBC Digital, which Mr. Trudeau expanded by $600 million, English TV and digital, be taking away advertising? Why do they have banner ads, Kirk, when um, you know, the province and all the, all the various chains across the country are struggling to survive, so much so that Mr. Trudeau has given them a bailout fund? So I think the CBC is an important institution, particularly where it doesn't compete. I listen to CBC radio, there's no commercials as you know. So certain parts of it have stuck with its public mandate. Other parts of it try and turn into a multimedia universe and really undermine our private sector that has a hard time adjusting. So I look at it as modernization, that if if uh, if you don't put it there, any bureaucracy will just grow and, and increase their mandate and start competing and I think it's unfair for for the state to sponsor competition with sectors of the Canadian economy, jobs that are struggling in this new digital world. And I think most Canadians agree, my children, Kurt, do not watch television. They watch YouTube or they stream. So it's time for us to wake up and have a serious conversation on this.
0: Sounds like what you're promoting, though, is something like an ad-free CBC that that would maybe not go everywhere that the audience is. Which is today online, as you say. Your children are, are streaming. Your children are obviously online. I, I, my guess is that they have, you know, all kinds of social media access and things like that. And and yet that's what the CBC is trying to do. And we can go into the weeds on this one, but I, but I want to conclude though with, with something that is even closer to home. I mean, you, you had to be an idiot in this business to not make a lot of money as an owner uh, a generation ago, and now you have to be a genius in order to make any right. And and. It, and yet, you're against the government's support of local and regional and national journalism through these through organizations. You you don't think that the 600 million plus is a is a very good use of funds. But but what I wonder about, I mean, because I think this this leads some to conclude that perhaps preserving or enhancing local journalism isn't a priority for you in this country for our identity. How how do you think the finances can be fixed, if not with some poor? Uh, some form of, of public support.
1: There's a lot of ways to do it without Mr. Trudeau picking a panel who will then choose winners and losers, Kurt. So it's about being creative. and We're looking at what France and Australia have done with respect to, to news and the web giants. Again, Mr. Trudeau promised some, some clarity on this and we got C10, which was a disaster which attack on free speech and didn't even pass. Um, we we are in favor of that. There's also innovative funding models that uh, that you know some are looking in terms of how they establish themselves as foundations or 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 how subscription rates are treated. There's a whole range of things that uh, that could be looked at. The tax act on how advertising is treated in terms of the spend for uh, online American sources and Canadian. So we, we want that to be preserved, but not through a government-directed bailout fund. Um, government doesn't do anything well, in my view, if it's if it's about innovative, innovating. And this is about innovating to meet the new need of, of advertising and, and, and consumer interface. And I don't think it's appropriate for a state-owned broadcaster to be an extra complication in some of these spaces. So as you said, preserving the, the public broadcaster in that public interest domain, maybe even having them do do it uh, more effectively. I used to think that CBC International was was something that was dropped because they were getting into more TV and, and, and non-nation you know, building things. And so I think it's time to have a bit of a shakeup. The world has changed and government can't do things like it was done in the, in the 70s and 80s for the sake of it. But yeah. journalism is important. And I, I think having that independence though, which the, the fund Mr. Trudeau created, uh, that that independence is being eroded. So it, it's also ethically wrong from a journalistic standpoint too.
0: So, so you'd commit to some kind of framework though, that yeah. would uh, through tax treatment or any number of things would enable journalism organizations to perhaps foster that kind of independence.
1: Yes. As I said, we've been actually looking out uh, and consulting widely with media to to hear their opinions. And and obviously they've been looking at what Australia is doing in terms of Facebook and the web giants. So we want to get thoughtful, smart policy that is building a secure future for Canada in the future, including media and, and important journalism. Um, but doing things just with a big one, big ticket government solution, I think is actually obviously the the wrong way it obvious it often creates more, more unintended problems than solutions.
0: All right. So uh, my self preservation's out of the way here. Um, my last question <laughs> to you is a question that I ask a lot of people in this area, because I have a pretty good idea of what kind of a toll this takes on you physically, emotionally, uh, you know what what it does to your overall system. So how are you ex- exercising self care right now?
1: That's a great question, Kirk. And in fact, I ran into someone on the plane, a, a judge who, who just said, be well, you're gonna be going into a busy time. My biggest thing for me is is running. And I I, I try and get it in both for the physical and the mental. It, when I run, I, I I will go through some of the challenges we're facing and I'm an optimist. I'm always trying to think of solutions and take back meetings. I met with indigenous leaders in Alberta. I thought about that on my run this morning before I left Calgary. Uh, I'll be doing the same here in the Lower Mainland, the beautiful run in Stanley Park and other places that are favourite haunts for me. So that's how I try and get the balance. And I do try and have some downtime with with my wife and children where I'll put my phone in in five different rooms for me so that it's nowhere near mm-hmm. me. And my, my team will often put some Sunday dinners and things off off limits. And that's also great for, for the family's wellness too. So thank you for asking. And I hope coming out of COVID... Everyone needs their own wellness piece. That's why we have mental health actually in our five pillar plan. It's something I've worked a lot on since my time in the military.
0: Yeah, well, it, your military experience would have helped you in the pandemic. And of course, you had your own, your own issues to deal with, of course, in the pandemic. But uh, my last question to you is, what do you think you've learned about yourself in the pandemic?
1: That's a great question. I think I think one thing I often thought I had a broad base of of knowledge in a whole range of areas. And I found that um I I don't in some areas. And you know, in, in particular indigenous reconciliation, which was my first question as opposition leader, but I've done dozens of meetings and I've realized I know Canadian history well and I talk often about the need to balance off our history and learn from it, not just erase it and other things. But I don't know enough about indigenous uh, art and, and, and culture and, and history. And I'm trying to weave it into to what I do. So I, I spoke about the, the Musqueam uh, First Nation today in my address at, at, at Richmond and the, the wonderful art, the, the, uh, the, the spinning wheel, the spinning whirl uh, art from the Musqueam artist in, in Vancouver, how majestic it is and how we can learn from it by bringing many fibers together into a strong thread. I think that I tried to use that in my speech today on reconciliation, but I'm committed to learn more about it because I realized for these meetings, I don't know uh, enough to the level I should to be prime minister.
0: Yeah. Does does our history trouble you now more than it did before?
1: Our my history is all. Our history has always troubled me, um, and it, it wasn't until law school that I learned about residential schools. But I'm really glad that that my children are learning in grade school. After the horrible Kamloops situation, I spoke to my ten year old son about about uh, graves and and that terrible chapter. He was aware of of some of it. Um, the issue with our history is how do we recommit to our country to to ensure we learn from it and, and heal. And that's why I've been calling for the movement on the calls to action, but it's also why I don't want to, to cancel Canada day or, or, you know, tear down the country. If we don't love who we are. And I think that's what we have to do is channel this, this trauma and this, this disappointment of where we've, fallen horrifically short in the past to build the better country we truly want to be. Um, and I, I don't hear solutions from, from many of the other leaders. It's easy to identify problems. Uh, it's much harder to come up with solutions, And but that's what leadership is, and that's what I'm going to try and offer. I have tried to offer that through my time as a member of parliament, but it's important for me now standing to be prime minister.
0: Uh, I've extended you beyond our time, but uh, then I'll ask you one last thing about this. Do you expect to have many Indigenous candidates in this election?
1: We will will have some, and this is is something I've been working on. In fact, my last event in Calgary last night, there were several First Nation leaders there who came, and some I'd met with uh, from the Siksika Nation and, and others during my visit, and I was putting them on the spot to run for us because I really do think uh, I want to have Indigenous voices in my caucus, in my cabinet. Um, but it, I do know, particularly from British Columbia, what a big decision is. it is uh, for the travel and if you have children or people in your family that you're responsible for. Um, so I've spoken to, to some and encouraged, but it's a, it's a big decision. We will have some, and uh, we're in the process of finalizing nominations now, and uh, reconciliation will be core to what we're going to, put before Canadians whenever the election comes.
0: Yeah, well look, very good chat. Thanks a lot for your time today, Mr. O'Toole.
1: Good to be back with you, Kirk, thank you.
0: You've been watching BIV today. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. We'll see you again.